Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, let's try that again. James, can you hear me? I, I can better. There we go. Your, so, your, 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 your handsome face isn't quite sharp, but uh, the audio is pretty good. Well, listen, as long as the audio holds out, that's all we care about. For those who are wondering on the podcast what the hell happened, we tried to do an intro there, and it blurred out and just completely broke up on us. Jacob James, Huddle Breakdown, Season 3, Episode 2. Uh, some big talking points coming up in the podcast. Aaron Moy is a boy, as you can see in the title. Uh, Morris Jens also joins from League On, and we are going to be looking at some Legia Warsaw in the preseason. But the sunshine, is it hitting the US as hard as it's hitting the UK? As I mentioned in the intro, Alan Morrison is not with us because of the sunshine. Got got a little bit too much, too much lagger. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been there and done that. So, uh, yeah, we wish Alan well and hopefully a speedy recovery. Uh, Get them back next week, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Big time. So I want to start with the double transfer. I will hold my fire on Aaron Moy because I think that's a broader talking point. Morris Jens, he is a player that was linked with Celtic last season as well. He was linked as a centre-back slash right-back. Not the left centre-back that we would have anticipated Celtic signing in the coming weeks. Maybe that's still to come. What are your general thoughts on Jens coming in this time round? Yeah, I, I would say as long as he's um, considered depth to kind of um, replace the existing two center backs or um, supplant one of them, I mean, probably more realistically Starfelt, but um, then I think that's that's reasonable. Um, but I think his profile is not that of a left-sided ball-playing center back, for sure. Um Appears to be, you know, kind of like Starfelt in the sense that a very accomplished defender seems to be far better in the air, which I think would be a a, a skill set that would certainly help us, given uh, some of our struggles in defending set pieces, etc. But um, yeah, he, he doesn't appear to be uh, a player who's on the ball um, skill set is a strength, particularly. I mean, he doesn't look like a a hammer thrower necessarily, but uh, you know, I the the I, I keep 
thinking and saying that the standard here should be, you know, Europa League last eight and to, you know, be competitive in Champions League, hopefully to get into at least the third slot uh, to, to qualify for the post-Christmas um, uh, Europa League. And, um, you know, he looks solid, but I'm not sure he raises the bar in that regard. Um, and... Again, I, I think you can argue we needed some of that depth, given particularly if it looks like Julian's going to be out the door. Um, but Alan and I have talked about it. I mean, we uh, and, and I won't speak for Alan, but my, one of my grave concerns has been our ability to build out from the back against better teams uh, and playing the style in which it seems like Ange is going to be focused on even in the Champions League. And I don't think uh, Jens moves the needle in that regard. Are you there? Andy? So I presume, yes, I am here. Sorry about the connection, but I, I, I wasn't sure if you had stopped talking or if uh, I should put in. So like he comes in, I don't think he is coming in as a starting center back or a starting uh, left side of center back. The structure of the deal is interesting. The structure of the two deals are interesting. Armoy obviously comes in on a free Jens comes in on a season-long loan with an option to buy. Maybe Celtic would have been more keen on actually buying him if he came in last season. I think this seems to be two signings of convenience, two signings of um, a situation where Celtic have already spent quite a bit of money on two players that were here last season, and Jota and Cameron Carter-Vickers. It doesn't seem like this is going to be Celtic's final business, judging on the structure of these two, two signings. One would hope not. Uh, you know, w towards the end of last season, as Alan and I were discuss uh, areas of addressable need heading into this season, uh, if this is it, then I think three out of the four had <laughs> that I laid out anyway, uh, and I think there was a significant amount of overlap between Alan and I. Um, really, left back would have been the only one that we would have addressed if this is it. Um, so that would be concerning. And, and again, um, you know, the, the idea here is how do we get to the point where we're significantly competitive in Europe? And, um, you know, so that, that, that's my concern. Domestically, not so much. You know, as with most of these guys, they're, they're going to be fine domestically. Um, it, it's more so in Europe where the... The, the major concerns come in and, and at, mm. he had, he did play on the left side in, in France last season, um, a significant amount. I'm mean, actually, I think the majority of his minutes were actually on the left side, uh, but that didn't really go that well. <laughs> uh, if you look at his statistical profile, I mean, obviously the level of competition is higher than what he faced in Switzerland as well. So it's hard, hard to kind of um, attribute how much was because of positional uh, issues being on the left and how much of it was change in team. Both are kind of, you know, both teams are, are kind of mid to lower table type sides in, in their respective leagues. Um, so it's, you know, again, it, it's hard to kind of disaggregate those, those things, but he, he definitely performed more poorly in France than he did to a significant degree than he did in, uh, in Switzerland. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've watched him uh, for the last number of years playing in France, but what I've heard and what I've read from people who are well-sourced and much better equipped to talk about French footballers than me is that 
he was a bit of an average player in an average team um, when it comes to uh, the situation uh, he was in uh, last season. So it, it will be interesting to see how he actually feds in. It, it's, it's interesting what this means for the, the fate of Stephen Welsh as well as Julian because, I mean, Julian is and should be out the door essentially. Um, where is Stephen Welsh coming into this now? Do you think this is the end of Stephen Welsh or is this just another player coming in to uh, yeah. another backup? It, it, it's it's a good question because I think as we saw in um, the game yesterday, what is today? Today is Thursday. Yes, yesterday. Yes. Um, you know, he brings something something to um, that position that uh, the others don't, which is that ability to break lines with passes. Um, and Alan's talked about that pretty extensively. How uh, over the last year, how much improvement we've seen. Um, in him under Ange in particular. So um, I, I think that's a good question. I, I think, you know, he's, there's been some defensive issues there. Um, and obviously that's a huge concern, particularly as you go up into uh, face European competition. So, I mean, um, if there could be improvement on the defensive side, I think he actually profiles better in that regard. I'm not sure on the left side. Again, you get back to these issues of, um, guys being forced into playing in um, roles that may not be their optimized. You know, Starfeld on the left, for example, not really mm-hmm. playing to his strengths. Um, it probably looks like Jens is going to be similar in that regard. Um, so, you know, as we've talked about, the more you put these people in positions that aren't optimal, error rate goes up, turnovers go up. And as Ange just talked about, you know, he, he's not real flexible in changing how he's going to play. His answer is do it better. Uh, you know, turn the ball over less is, is the answer. And I think, you know, on the margin, when you put people in positions where they're less comfortable, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're going to have that as a, almost like a friction, a cost of friction. Um, so yeah, I think Welsh, you know, Welsh to me is a guy who probably could do really well in another setting. Um, uh, you know, I've said for a while now, I think in a kind of a right right center back in a back three would almost be his ideal role. Um, kind of like, I don't know, you know your buddy scales, right? Uh, ripping him up at Aberdeen. put You put him in a position and in a role that suits him in a side that makes sense. And all of a sudden he's, you know, flowering and playing. I mean, it was against, you know, lower league competition. But you, you take my point. I, I don't get the Jens thing at right back. I he played some right center back. Maybe he played a little bit of right back, but the, he's a pretty tall guy. He doesn't really profile as being uh, all that pacey. Uh, so I, I suspect he's a pure, you know, center back. Yeah, the conspiracy of him coming in to be an early replacement for Juranovic, who's eventually going to leave on deadline day, is probably no way. I, I probably not correct. That. I wouldn't say. Um, no. In terms of the, the squad build-up and in terms of the, the current setup now with Jens and if Stephen Welsh, let's imagine Stephen Welsh stays. I, over the last week, somehow I can imagine the conversations with Ange being, okay, we can get Jens in on a free or on a loan and we can also get Aaron Moy in as a midfielder for free. And Ange probably said yes, because although yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of conversation around What's an Ange player? Do they suit, suit the system? Do they suit Ange ball? I would say Ange's idea of what suits Ange ball at the minute 
is getting as many bodies through the door that he feels are competent to do a job uh, if called upon. For example, you don't want to be in the Champions League, have Starfelt out injured, have Stephen Welsh out injured, and suddenly have nobody there to play at left centre-back. That's where I imagine the likes of Jens coming in as backup to potentially even the backup to Starfelt. And Moy being not the starter, but someone who Ange trusts to put in and do a job if necessary, if called upon uh, in these situations. So that's where I sort of see the last transfers being, the two double, the double transfers that came in. Not people who are optimised for the club or optimised for Ange's system, but people that Ange will trust to put into the team. For example, like last year, when, when we saw that he clearly did not trust Idiguchi to throw him in. That's where I saw sort of see Moy being a player that Ange trusts to put in and be confident if he needs to be. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the you probably summarized my um, biggest concern as we head into the season, which is if, if you, you know, I think one of the hopes as we came out of uh, the summer transfer window last season, which was understandably chaotic and challenging for a whole variety of, of reasons. Um, and then, you know, I think the general consensus, including myself, was that January was a very positive step forward in that regard, not only getting it done early, but the quality of, of players coming in. But if you, looked at, if you look at kind of the pattern, I'm a pattern recognition guy. So if you look at the pattern of what's gone on, you, you can kind of group these signings into three, I think, broad categories. One is players that were on an old list. Right, which Jens even suits that. It's apparently from the reporting. Again, if the reporting's true, we'll you know even uh, have talk of him. I think he, Ange even said they were, he was somebody that looked at last summer, and we know kind of if they looked at him last summer, that was coming off of an old list, um, as Starfelt was and a bunch of the other players. Um, and then uh, uh, there's the group of people Ange knows. Right, whether it's the 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 Japanese contingent because of his direct experience in that league, uh, there was the attempt at McCree, somebody he knew. Uh, Moy fits that, obviously. Um, so you've got that contingent, and then you've kind of got these what I would call the more aspirational, hopeful picks, um, which were O'Reilly and and Bernabe, which seemed to they kind of stick out because they do fit the system, they do present upside they look like they're probably really good values they're they're of a profile of youth and you know kind of that nexus of uh sell-on potential and um uh really exciting talent that kind of thing um the relative weighting of those is what i'm uncomfortable with so uh ideally you would have a lot more of the o'reilly's and the bernabes than the old lists and um you know, guys, the manager knows, right? Because what we know is historically now with how far the, the, um, uh, the industry has progressed is that former two aren't good enough over time. Um, let's not say it's going to be, you know, make or break this season, but there's only so many people a manager is going to know that meet the criteria. You know, we're kind of running that, that well dry probably, (laughs) uh, to a degree. And, um, you know, uh, so that that's a concern. The other thing is, I think I did a thread on this on Twitter uh, yesterday. I think it was. I, I I still think that there's a general misunderstanding of the financial realities at Celtic by a lot in the support 
Um, some of it has to do with understandable confusion about, you know, the timing of cash being on the balance sheet at the club because uh, they get this huge influx of cash twice a year, basically. One is season ticket money. That makes the year-end statement look really flush with cash, the June 30th. Uh, so that's the season ticket renewal money. And then you get a lot of that European money in in the fall, in the autumn. And that kind of replenishes the cash to a degree for that 1231 statement. The problem is from January through May, before season ticket money really comes in, the club's pretty much burning cash because they're, they've got all expenses and not a lot coming in, right? The reason why I get into this is people see those big numbers in cash and think, oh, they're flush with cash. Why aren't they spent, you know? Uh, we got Champions League money coming in now and all this other stuff. And um, the reality is that, you know, uh, the last few years, the club was running at an operating deficit exclusive of player sales. So if we didn't sell uh, Edward last year in particular or Iyer and both, you know, basically you can think of it, Iyer and Christie funded the incomings and Edward basically allowed the club to operate at break even for the year, maybe make a little bit of money. Uh, had we not sold Edward, uh, we would have operated at you know a deficit in the millions of of pounds. So we're not selling anyone big. It looks like this season. So that really kind of you know yes, the Champions League money to a degree offsets that, but it's not like we have this endless pot of money and we've already spent a lot. And um, the idea that we're going to push much over twenty million, I think, is probably unrealistic. So when you, I think that's all context for guys like Segrist who you know, is not my ideal, um, uh, keeper as much as I think he's a really good keeper, not a great fit for, for the way Celtic play Moy, really good player aging, but we get him for free. Maybe he can fill a role as kind of a, you know, and I will, we'll get to that. I'd be interested in what your thoughts is there. Um, I'm thinking probably as a backup to McGregor in that kind of ball distributing, uh, defensive midfield position. Um, so I think that that's kind of how contextually I'm seeing the window so far. And I think the simple question to ask is how much have we improved the first 11? And, you know, um, I think Alan's rightfully optimistic that with continued, um, you know, focus on, on the system and guys getting bedded in like Hitate and there's going to be some more and guys, you know, I would call like the development curve, their age group they're going to continue to get better so the some of that's organically going to happen um but we're also heading into a european campaign where we're going to face significantly higher quality opponents um so I, I i'm concerned that we haven't really significantly improved anything on the starting 11 with that you know really difficult challenge um confronting us in the champions league yeah there's uh, two things on that i really like your contextualization of the transfers and the, the lists, I, I would agree with you to a large point. And then just to add on to your, your financial uh, discussion there, I would say that that is the key reason why there are lesser of the you know options, one of the O'Reilly's and the Bernabe's, because there's not too many of them in the world. And the amount of them in the world are usually taking up quick, uh, very quickly by bigger clubs in the Premier League and not even used and just there in their reserve squads or out on loan to another Premier League club or something like that. Um, so it takes a longer time, I would say, for a club like Celtic to find, identify and be able to acquire 
these type of players who have not already been snatched up by the city group or someone else and um, that, that have more money than us. And um, let's move on to uh, Aaron Moy then, because there is a comment that came in earlier on when I described Moy as part of, you know, probably a backup. Um, Andrew Gale, uh, Galaya, or I'm not sure how you say your name, but he said, I'm selling Moy short. <laughs> I would like to go on record and say that Aaron Moy was actually one of my favorite players when he played for Huddersfield Town in terms of the, the lower ranked Premier League sides. He was a really, really good player. But what you want to think or you know take into context is that Aaron Moy at his peak was 2017, 2018, 2019. It's now 2022. He hasn't really been playing all that much because of his move to China and because that move to China eventually ended uh, with him essentially tearing up his contract. But there is value. Let's talk about the good parts about Aaron Moy. He's a very good distributor of the ball. He's able to unlock defences with his passes. That's in the data, and you can also see it with your eyes as well. He's an incredibly creative player. He has played in an attacking role, but with the older age, now at 32 in November, whatever it is uh, now shortly, probably going to drop back, back deeper. I see three different roles for him, potentially, in the Celtic team. That is, you know, as the number eight, not really moving that much, but as the number eight who plays against a team with a low block. So you have second creative midfielder in there for passing distribution and trying to unlock defenses i see him being a backup for cal mcgregor as the number six and you know just being very good at at being able to control the pace of the game and being a generally good midfielder and then the third role is a change in formation which i i mentioned last last week potentially with a four two three one with cal mcgregor and moy in the midfield with Hatate and O'Reilly and Turnbull, whoever that is. That's an incredibly creative midfield, which has defensive qualities and control qualities and attacking uh, qualities as well. So I think it's a clever pickup from Celtic on the, on the whole. And I think it is a short-term transfer. I think nobody would really argue with me in that one. Yeah, I, I, I think the way that you characterize it makes sense relative to kind of a, uh, a near baton um, replacement. You know, if you want to think about it in the simplest terms, kind of a swap out for that role that he served last season. Um, and, and you know, uh, Callum McGregor is not 25 anymore. Um, and we've talked about this. He's been flogged the last few seasons to. Yeah, he's, he's not expert. 25 anymore. And he was never 25 in football years either because of the amount of football he was playing. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, so, you know, depth is. Not only depth in the sense that if injuries should occur, and we've talked a lot about that problem last season, um, and I think that has to be proven that it's been addressed um, before I'll have confidence that it that it's going to get better. Um, so there's the injury risk, but then there's also just if, if you're going to address the injury risk, then you have to have the depth of quality, be able to play guys, you know, every game, and, and this is an inherent problem in the league because of how tight uh, it's it, it was last season. And it, I'm guessing probably will be again this season um, is, you know, at some point you got to be willing to sit a guy if his risks are up for pulling a hamstring or a quad or a calf, or he tweaks it in practice or, you know, like we saw with Kyogo, you know, playing in that St. Johnston game where he ended up rupturing his hamstring and having to have surgery and missing three months, right? That is, you got to be able to sit a guy. You, you can't be losing Callum McGregor for three months 
And I think what Moy does is he probably raises the floor um, and and gives you some of that flexibility, as you said. I mean, and I think, you know, against six, seven, maybe eight teams in the league, even at an eight, he's probably okay. Um, you know, at a six, I think he's going to be fine, maybe even against 10, 11 teams um, in the league. That one, maybe not. <laughs> um, and then... You know, the issue is more so in Europe. And and you tell me, I mean, I just what I've looked at him on some film and stuff, he doesn't look like he was ever all that fast and has as is to be expected, he's probably lost a couple of steps um based off of normal aging. Yeah, he, was, so, he he was never he was never quick. Any player any uh, person who's watched him uh, yeah. will tell you he pace was pace was never his his strength, is uh right. a kind so, of way of putting it. Right. So what what he might bring, because, again, we uh, Alan and I have talked about this in the past. I mean, McGregor is terrific in that role as a distributor, but he's not the most creative deep line passer either. He, uh, you know, he'll he'll almost uh, default to the easy pass sometimes. And um, so, you know, Moy might bring in again as a depth piece uh, or with McGregor, as you said, if, if the system shifts to, to the four, two, three, one. Um, might offer a little bit of that deep playmaking that we haven't seen a lot at Celtic outside of, you know, in Cham in 17-18. I mean, that's the last time that we've really had that kind of midfielder playing deep that uh, can play those kind of passes. Um, you know, Hitate looks like he can do it if he's playing deeper. You know, he does drop deep sometimes. But, um, you know, and I, and I think with what we've seen with uh, – Angel style of play is one of the frustrating parts for some of the forwards, particularly Maeda and Kyogun. Again, we've mentioned this in the past is some of the runs that they make that appear to be, you know, good runs that are open and there's no one deep that can make the pass. You know, McGregor made a great one on the goal, uh, that brilliant goal yesterday with Hitate finishing it. But that was, that was more in the final third than, you know, that deep really, you know, from kind of the, your own half, uh, into just across, um, the halfway line. So uh, I think Moy can add some value there. Again, I don't see him playing a meaningful, a meaningful, meaningful role. Easy for me to say meaningful role in making us better against Salzburg. <laughs> you know, this is why I asked about the pace issue because, you know, how, how we, and we'll, we'll talk about preseason a little bit in a minute, but um, you know, one of the things you've seen in preseason I mean, I don't take preseason that seriously, but, um, you know, some of the issues in transition remain, let's put it that way. And pace is a part of that. And um, I don't think Moy against a Man City, a Liverpool, even, you know, a Shakhtar or, you know, Inter, you know, you don't, not even that super high tier, but that next tier down or even the next tier down, you know, uh, having that space and not having the speed to be able to make up when there is space and transition. Uh, and because we don't have this, you know, high functioning back five, that's able to ping the ball around, um, you know, Angie's answer to turning the ball over is, you know, within the context of heart playing that high to me was a little alarming, <laughs> which is don't turn the ball over. Well, I, I think that's probably not, uh, not a realistic expectation given the players being put in the roles that they're being asked to play to to a degree where they're going to be, you know, like 99th percentile. They might get functional, but the dial on that gets turned as you go up against better teams. Um, 
that are faster, better coordinated with their press and, and a, a degree of talent, you know, when, when you turn the ball over and it's uh, Verts and Schick at Leverkusen that are on the other side of turning that ball over, that's different than it's, you know, um, Dundee. Yeah. Um, fans are going to kill me here, but who was it that played the long ball over the top to Kyogo for the goal in the Europa League last year? Well, Jota. Jota was deep and played that. Jota, the, the, I, mean, I thought. I, I yep. That's who I thought it was, but it wasn't making sense in my head why Jota would be that deep. Uh, Moy has that in his locker all day long. So that's where you're right. seeing potential there if the likes of Maeda or Kyogo are are making those runs if Celtic are trying to escape from a high press. Moy is someone you yeah, can trust to take. For example, like, like you were saying with, um, with the defence and being able to play under pressure, Moy is definitely someone that you can put in and trust him to play under pressure much more so than I would, th- would have said, you know, Beton would be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, Beton uh, was okay at that, but not, I would, you know, not high level. I mean, he was better than most of the other options that we had in playing those kind of passes, but I wouldn't say like high functioning. Like I said, and Cham was really the last one that we had, and we rarely played him that in that role after 17, 18 for some mysterious reason. But um, so, yeah, I, I um, th- th- this is where we go back to if, if, and this is, you know, quote unquote, Ange ball, uh, even if you go back to Marinos in the, uh, in the equivalent of the Asian, cha- Asian Champions League, is if we're going to play a guy like Moy in that role, uh, let's say McGregor gets hurt, God help us, uh, and he has to fill in in that role in the Champions League, you know, we'll probably score. I mean, I, I'm confident we're going to be able to score at that level, but we might have to win 5-4. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's going to be – I don't see us being uh, sound enough in midfield and defensively to be limiting – chances at that level to a significant degree um because we just don't have the players and and um you know that that's yeah so i I, i'm not again any of these moves individually i can kind of back into oh okay well i see a role there's a degree of coherence here outside of secrets i don't get the secret signing at all but uh outside of that when all the rest of them i can say okay well from a depth perspective uh, it, it's when you take them all together and that they're not really addressing uh, the biggest issues th- that we talked about in May uh, heading into this window. Um, I, I think that's where the issues reside. Yeah, it's it's I think it's it's the long term vision that people seem to really have an issue with. My question is, um, like in the long term, what really is Ange Ball other than what he does himself? with Celtic at the minute because managers evolve over, over the course of, and you know, there is evidence behind it, you know, with what he did with that Australia and what he did with uh, Marinos and, and teams that he previously managed. But I see a lot more pragmatism when it comes to Ange and Celtic. And maybe potentially that is because of the magnitude of job that he has to do in the Champions League with these players coming in. So maybe, there is an argument to make that Moy does suit Ange Ball because Ange Ball is getting in quality players who he trusts at the key moments of the, the season. Maybe we'll start to see a shift in that if Celtic get more money and are able to bring in more players like O'Reilly and have more time to uh, to scout these players. But that's all in the long-term system. 
in terms of where the squad is at at the minute, so Celtic have preseason ongoing at the minute. Legia Warsaw, the game last night was uh, finished two two as Arthur Brooks uh, farewell party essentially. It was uh, almost like a testimonial. Um, finished two two. Celtic went two 0 up before the game ended. Though now, this preseason seems to be I don't know maybe it's just because we're in a bit of a bubble when it comes to Celtic Twitter. And I know there's a bombshell on uh, Celtic, Celtic Twitter today that we're not going to discuss. Well, but... and, and let's let, back to the comments on on Alan. Uh, um, you know, people are pretty miserable right now too. I mean, living through a heat wave without air conditioning. Um, this is true. You know, I I, I had a uh, a period where you know I live in an area where like 40 degrees is normal during the summer. Like, you know, by late June through August. It can be that hot regularly for extended periods. And I've had times when the air conditioning broke down um, and trying to live in that is, is, you know, a misery. So I, I have some empathy for uh, all of the people venting their, their misery on, on Twitter and it translating into horrible takes on, on Celtic. But, um, yeah. you know, I think that might be a contributing factor to how yeah. horrible it's been the last few days. Well, my, my overall point is that people are very miserable uh, when it comes to pre-season. Uh, just a quote from Ange uh, over the last uh, day or so about pre-season itself and the results and how the performance is going. He said that the point of the exercise is not uh, to win games of football. The point of the exercise now is to prepare the team to win games of football. So I'd be very much in the camp of pre-season doesn't matter one jot. It, like, I mean... We saw the first team that Celtic put out. I know it was against, you know, a very, 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 very bad side. But <laughs> preseason, as we all know, is nonsense. It doesn't really tell you much at all when it comes to what happens in the season. Celtic were absolutely dreadful in preseason last year, and they went on to win the league. What we're seeing in this preseason is similar enough to last season in terms of what he's doing with Hart and different things. But one interesting point I do want to take from preseason is how much game time James Forrest is getting. Now, James Forrest obviously extended his contract to keep him at the club. Are we going to see more of James Forrest this season? Is that what's going to happen if he stays fit? He was out injured for most of last season. So, I mean, is he going to play more? Um, well, I, I think he'll play more because of availability issues. I mean, hopefully he stays healthy. I, I would think he would be a, um, you know, kind of a super sub role would be the, the role that would make the most sense for him against um you know most of the league for example uh because again i i I think it's uh you know intellectually everyone kind of already understands it because we understand you know we know when the world cup is we know how congested the fixture uh uh calendar is going to be partly as a result of that um but you know when you get into the reality of that and the games are just piling uh, thankfully, this year, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, for the most part, um, you know, Jota and Maeda and Abada cannot play every single game. Um, and so uh, not 90 minutes every single game. So for these guys to be able to be rest. And if you look at I think we talked about this when Maeda was signed. If you look at his track record and the way he plays, you know, for him to go at that kind of intensity um, for 90 minutes, it was not that common in his career in Japan. Uh, he usually would be subbed out at its, you know, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, that kind of thing. Um, so you're going to have to rotate guys. You're going to have to have subs coming in to give guys breaks, uh, not only in games, but 
you know, um, giving them rests and games off so that they can be the sub or, you know, completely have some time off. And then you factor in injuries. You know, I, I think um, there's a role for Forrest in, in that capacity to help alleviate some of those things. And again, as much as he's kind of slowed down a little bit, I know there's an element in the support that he drives uh, absolutely berserk and has been uh, for probably, you know, his entire tenure. Um, he still brings enough quality on the ball that if, you know, we're trying to get a goal late against a packed in, uh, you know, Livingston at home or something like that, I think, you know, he's still good enough to be able to make a difference there. Um, so that that's kind of how I hope to see his role. Uh, I'd be shocked if he displaced any of those, um, you know, those three in Jota, Maeda, and Abada um, on on kind of merit. But you know, I've been surprised before. I'll just give another example of how preseason is nonsense. Uh, around this time last year, in preseason before Kyogo came in we were hypothesizing whether James Forrest would move into a striker role because Celtic yeah. were so, yeah <laughs> because Celtic were so short and he seemed to be the only option that we had to go in there so that'll tell you how, yeah uh, how... the, the the one thing I'll push back a little bit on relative to pre preseason and again all, all everything that uh, you've said and I think the spirit of what Ann said I agree with um but I'm a worry wart as you know um and the goal rate at which we conceded in Europe last season um, was alarming at, you know, two to two and a half goals per game. Um, and we've conceded, you know, again, that outside of that first game, which was, you know, a lower league Austrian, a mid-table lower league Austrian side uh, in those other four games. And none, none of these teams were, you know, high level opponents. The, um, uh, Vienna was, I think, either mid-table, maybe fourth, something like that, in that area in Austria. So good team, but you know, a tier below the Michelins, a tier below the Bodo Glimpse, even. Uh, and in those four games, we've conceded nine goals. So uh, now some of that was in the second half when you've got these guys coming in. Um, but when I watched, even when the more of the first team in the first halves. You, you see some of these issues, and again, Angela's addressed it, turning the ball over, acres of space, you know, transitions, and maybe it didn't culminate in a shot. Um, but again, against Rangers or against the quality of teams that we're going to face in Champions League, uh, you would expect opponents to be more uh, merciless in, in those situations. Um, so I, I'm still seeing more of that than I'm comfortable with. and. Um, you know that that's where whether it's uh, people getting more comfortable in their roles, um, things coming together. You know, as Ann just talked about, they're working on things. They're seeing the improvement. I hope that's all the case. Um, I, I just I'm still worried, given that we haven't really upgraded the personnel that addresses this issue, um, and it seems inherent to the way he wants to play. That um, you know. It, it it may be just something we have to live with and we're going to have to try to win 4-3. But that's tough. Like if you're playing in Europe and you've got to score three goals to win games or get results, that is a really tough um, path to, 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 you know, getting out of a group or to qualify for, for Europa League. It'll be fun <laughs> in ways, um, but, you know, and exciting, but uh, we're really tough. 
Yeah, I will say this, that, uh, you know, Celtic were 2-0 up at halftime. Uh, 46th minute, Juranovic, Taylor, Turnbull, Itaguchi, Kyogo, all, all come on. Ralston, Bernabe, O'Reilly, Hatate come off. And then that was followed by uh, Bain coming on for... Uh, Bain and, and Jota coming on, Hart, Nevada coming off. That that doesn't happen in a real game. So I I I am a as much as I'm a believer with the whole idea of not having too many left footers in your team, I'm a strong believer in the fact that preseason, it's it's not real. It, it doesn't exist. We shouldn't be getting worked up about it. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's just even in the first half, we we gave up some chances that weren't bad. You know, bad chances that they happened not to score on. Um, so. Uh, and again, they're not a great side. <laughs> um, they're a decent side, but um, you know. So that's more so. And again, I'm, I'm it, as it's back to what I was saying, kind of on the on the uh, on the recruitment side is in isolation. Just that first half, you're like, ah, oh, it's preseason. Who gives a crap, right? But within the context of the challenges that we've had in Europe under Ange, within the context of the rest of the preseason, within the context of the profiles of the players relative to the system against these quality of opponents. Right. So that's why in context, I think it um, raises a little bit of concern. I'm not saying a lot of concern. I'm just saying it's kind of in that same direction of travel, uh, so to speak. Um, and that's where I'm waiting to see evidence that it's being, you know, improved upon. Um, and we don't know, we're not going to know until we face, I don't remember. Uh, maybe our first Champions League game might um, precede the first derby. I forget, but they're, they're pretty close in timing. I think um, we're around a week or two, so we're really not going to know until we face that level of of team. Because the other thing is that outside of Rangers, from what I've seen, the rest of the league hasn't done that much to get a lot better. A lot of incoherence still going on. A lot of crazy uh, fun stuff in signings and. Manager you wouldn't be talking about what what happened Hibs over the last twenty four hours, uh, would you? Uh, uh, well, that, that's even again a one off. But you know, David Marshall being, I mean, how you can go from Marciano as your starting keeper to uh, David Marshall? I mean, it's like it's like the upside down world. You know, what I mean, it's like, and then maybe they're completely changing the way they're going to play now. I I don't know, um, yeah. but so. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, – I think the order, you know, you'll get maybe some movement below Hearts in, in who um, comes back up and, you know, cr creates more of a challenge. But the rest of the league, I, I don't think, has done that much to get um, all that threatening. So, again, it's really going to come down to, you know, dropping points in horrible ways <laughs> against teams that you shouldn't be. Who does that better and worse? And then, you know, the heads up, Darby's, and then – uh, and then the Champions League. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. So that's that's why I, when I talk about all these things, that that's what I'm, you know, I focus a lot of the analytical time on is fig trying to figure out where where the relative um, pieces are going to fall. And you know, um, I I try to stay objective relative to Rangers, and my objective analysis so far is that they're not having a bad window, right? So they're um, they're I think just as likely to be better than they were last season. Uh, that's my base case is that they will be better than they were last, last season. What they're doing so far to me seems like they're moving the ball forward a little bit. Uh, maybe not a lot, but in that direction. Um, so that creates, you know, a, a, a competitor that we've got to step up to and 
you know, it was four points. Goal difference was huge. But as I, you know, so little, uh, even go back historically. This is why I wrote my, my first piece last year for the uh, Celtic way was, you know, basically the concept was back to the future, right? Back to when the league used to be, you know, a goal here, a goal there, a result here, a result there, swung the pendulum. It's that tight. And um, I suspect that's what we're, we're, we're facing again. And they're not doing anything calamitous, you know, um, that would say, oh, they're going to be, you know, terrible this season um, to create space there where we can get away with things. Uh, so we're going to have to be at our best and, you know, ho- hopefully we're heading in that direction. Not even the middle of July and you're already got me worried for the season. Um, well, you have to be, I mean, I, you know, how, how can you not be? I mean, optimistic, but I, to me, it's, it's kind of a coin flip kind of situation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I, I don't think we've made any changes to our team that are, you know, tectonic plate shifting, you know? Um, so I think the, the, the existing regime from last season is probably similar. We'll get a little better, I think, based off of the stuff that Alan's talked about. I think they're going to be getting a little bit better. If they replace McGregor at keeper, I'll be even more worried because that was a big thing for them last season. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We will see. 47 minutes in, and I think I've managed to just about hang on with my Wi-Fi, but I think it will Your be connection's even better now. We should, we should go for another hour now. Now you look, at you, look at that pretty face of yours. Now we can see you clearly. Nice and tanned from my uh, sunshine of 36 degrees, but with a nice lake beside me, unlike the uh, fine folks over in England and Scotland who are trying to do this without air conditioning. So my thoughts are with everybody who is struggling through the heat over the last couple of, uh, couple of days and days to come. And to Alan Morrison as well, who is uh, on his recovery, I will say, on his recovery. And he should be with us uh, next week on the Huddle Breakdown as we continue on. We'll be just about a week outside of uh, the new season next week. So that will be the discussion points for next week. And uh, we'll look, be looking, looking forward to the new for, season. Looking forward to Saturday, Norwich, I think, will be, again, a different kind of challenge. Um, I suspect, given the proximity to uh, the first game next week, we'll get more of... And, and basically a weeks of rest in between the games um, that we'll see more of the first 11, what he uh, Ange expects to be the first 11 heading into the Aberdeen game. Um, so I think we might get more out of Saturday than we would much of the rest of preseason, hopefully anyway. Should be a good game to watch. I mean, Norwich are always a very pretty but very weak side when it comes to Premier League. They're always, I, I, I always say that they're a very nice side, but nice being a compliment and uh, an insult at the same time because they're they're always far too nice for their own good when it comes to Premier League. But against Celtic, it should be a nice day, especially with the sunshine. Will everyone enjoy? Yeah. Thank you to everyone who has commented and thank you for sticking with us, even with the bad connection. Uh, this will be available to podcast uh, in the usual places, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcast as well. It should be up on YouTube as well. If you missed start and want to go back to the start, skip forward past the part where we had a false start because of my connection and you'll get to uh, the parts where it was about uh, 45 about. seconds. I think for people yeah, that are yeah. uh, on the iPod uh, on the podcast apps. <laughs> yeah. But well, I'll, I'll cut it out for the podcast list. Oh, okay. YouTube chums will have to just skip forward themselves. Um, As always, James, thanks very much. Thanks, Enda. Stay cool. All right.
Yeah, we'll chat to you later. Good luck.